Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Welcome to episode 156 of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. My name is Elisa and today is Wednesday, April the 26th, 2023. Today on the pod is one of my newest friends in the space of awake and aware warriors of the world. She's a super boss, a sovereign authority entrepreneur, and her name is Sarah Swain. Sarah has dedicated herself to help people create more choice freedom and independence in their life by creating new streams of income. Ooh, it's a juicy episode. And after three years, I mean, who hasn't had the thought of, wow, is one income stream the direction I want to continue with after so many businesses were shut down, people lost their jobs, there's financial struggle everywhere amongst other factors like inflation. So Sarah is a beacon for individuals looking to empower themselves financially. However, in today's episode, Sarah shares her remarkable awakening to the business side of government, corporate initiatives and incentives and how little we, the common people of Canada and around the world, know about business and how business works and the art of marketing and getting people to buy in to narratives from the lens of our response to the COVID-19 pandemic. These are hard conversations to have because they force us out of our comfort zone and require us to take a good look in the mirror, lift the veil we're hiding behind, and to think critically and choose how independent we truly want to be. Sarah is a force. Her nuanced perspective holds so much value in my heart, and it is with a warm hug I welcome her into this growing community of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. I urge you to share this episode with your friends and family on social media. These are the voices and conversations that get zero mainstream attention, but have colossal impacts to your life. So happy to hear that you are ready to join the conversation. Also quick note, my mic had a weird connection during this interview. So my apologies for the audio differential, Ugh, such as life. Let's get into today's episode. Here's my friend, Sarah Swain. All right, Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm super pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. You um, have popped into my radar on several different topics. You basically speak about my two favorite topics, business, female entrepreneurs, well, not necessarily female entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurship and being awake to what's going on in the world today. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so yeah, um, I, I've been kind of like tossing and turning what my first question to you is going to be. But I, I think I want to start with how did you become such an activist as an entrepreneur in 2023? That's a really great question. And it's interesting because 
I was not one of the first people to wake up. I'm so envious of all of my friends that like had it all figured out long before I did. And Mm -hmm. in early 2020, when, you know, the pandemic was announced and it was two weeks to flatten the curve, um, I was just following the instructions. I fully admit that I was also someone who totally Cloroxed her bananas on her front porch before bringing <laughs> them into her home. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was in it. Yep. I was doing the right thing. And what kind of spooked me a little bit, and there were, there were several factors that kind of pushed me into my eyes opening and then feeling like I didn't even have a choice, but to start speaking about the concerns that I had, but because I am an entrepreneur and I see everything through the lens of business, that's just how I view the world. And my husband will tell you, it's pretty obnoxious taking me anywhere because I'm always looking at (laughs) the opportunities for businesses and I just see the world that way. And so when the government started shutting businesses down and people were all of a sudden out of work, due to these, you know, quote unquote, emergency orders, I all of a sudden saw the dreadful impact and like long term impact and ripple effect of what was going to happen with the economy as a result of businesses, you know, basically just kind of being steamrolled. Mm-hmm. And so that was where I first started to go, oh, yep. <laughs> this is a problematic because I was I had the compassion for the business owners and the empathy for the position that so many were in because so many didn't have the option to be able to just continue on and, and know how to create money and just yep. take everything online and figure it out. I mean, it it dawned on me how much. Uh, skill and awareness lacked in that area, if God forbid something were to happen to someone's business and not have any time to be able to react, to plan, to re-strategize, to pivot. And so that's where my eyes started to go, hold on a second here. This We're on a very slippery slope from an economic standpoint, totally asleep to everything else. But then fast forward to 2021. So a year, year and a half later, and the uh, arm squirt. I will use that term. Arm squirt rollouts <laughs> were happening. <laughs> That's All a new over. one for me. I haven't heard that yeah. before. That's no. how we fly under the radar in social media these days. Ah. Cool. <laughs> so the arm squirt mandates were uh, in full force. And then we saw another layer of um, just really terrible choices that people were having to make and feeling like their backs are against the wall, their jobs are on the line. And that was where this, you know, fire in me really started to turn into a raging inferno because I could see how many people were handcuffed to their jobs because they had no other way to be able to create money or or bring other streams of income into their households. And as a result, they felt like they had no other choice. And so I saw people left, right, and center sacrificing their moral codes, their value systems, their belief systems in order to continue to receive their biweekly paycheck. So as an entrepreneur, looking at everything through the lens of business and income and creating livelihoods and 
creating lives that we actually desire and the lifestyle that we want to be able to have, all of a sudden, everything just felt like it was on the chopping block for people. And they were left with no other choice. At least that's how it felt for them. So that's what really made me start screaming on the internet. Um, I had kind of started safely asking questions. Sorry, did you get yes. some pushback <laughs> yeah. by safely asking questions? Yes. And that's where I, my, the hair on the back of my neck kind of started to stand up because, yeah. you know, I'd be like, what do you guys think of lockdowns? And what do you guys think of the government telling us who we can and can't have Christmas with? And you know, immediately met with angry people being like, this is just the right thing to do. And you can't, you got to just do what we need to do. And da, da, da. it's like, whoa, you'd all of a sudden feel this attack. And it's like, I'm just asking some questions, guys. So yeah, there was a lot of things going on. But for me personally, it, it was through that angle and lens of business and entrepreneurship and um, even just the workforce and seeing what was happening carnage level on mass that uh, really made me just... <laughs> for lack of a better word, go balls to the wall and and just have to start screaming from the rooftops that we have a major problem on our hands. There's a million different problems that's all wrapped up in this larger issue. But for me personally, it was it was this angle that I started seeing a major, major problem. So how did you start to scream off the rooftops without, or did you lose friends and family at that point? Or did you like, how did you approach this? Yeah. So it started with me asking questions. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know I do a lot of polls and a lot of question boxes just to yeah. kind of see what the pulse is. And yeah, started getting pushback for just asking those types of things. Um, and I would say early 2021, when kind of everything came crashing together for me and my eyes really opened that this wasn't just an economic issue. This wasn't just a government issue. This wasn't just a health issue. This is a, a very large thing that we're dealing with on a global scale. That was kind of the height of my quote unquote awakening. Mm -hmm. And so it was around February and it was between February and June of 2021 that I felt like my insights were going to explode mm -hmm. if I didn't just let myself speak because I, I could see so many problems and I could see so many people not seeing those problems that it scared the shit out of me. And <laughs> I got um, COVID or whatever the hell this even is in June of 2021. And that was kind of like almost my permission slip where I'm like, I'm done. I can't not say anything anymore. So I remember I took a screenshot of my followers and I sent it to um, one of my business colleagues. And I said, let's just watch this number start to go down because I can't, <laughs> I can't take it anymore. This is lunacy and we need to start raising awareness and so I had 1,333 followers at the time. I can remember that vividly in my mind because I thought I was burning it all to the ground. I thought my entire business would be lost. I thought I was going to lose everything. And oddly enough, the opposite started to happen because there were people out there who also saw things that I saw that were terrified that they were the only person <laughs> that saw it. And so the opposite started to happen. My followers started to climb. Now, here's the interesting part. Um, I would say by later that year, 
when the arms court mandates were in full force. And now I was not only squawking about the economy and the government, we were talking about bodily autonomy and, you know, trying to warn people about the risks and the unknowns of, you know, this mm-hmm. experiment and yada, yada, yada. Uh, I lost the majority of people in my life by the end of 2021, friends, family. And, you know, there were really no major explosive, uh, you know, falling outs, but it was just more like a silent removal of everyone just kind of backing away from me, backing away from my space, kindly asking me to stop talking about this around them. I was making them very uncomfortable. Um, People told me that I was too depressing to be around. And it was a very lonely period over September 2021 into uh, the convoy in 2022, when all of a sudden we realized there were way more of us than we thought. Um, But that was kind of that journey for me in between February 2021 and January 2022, when the truckers decided to head to Ottawa. So since that point, when the truckers made an impact. Like I live in Ottawa and I mean, there's a very different tone here. I'm one of Mm -hmm. very few people in Ottawa that is unvaccinated. That is, that stood up for something. Um, I don't know any, I I know maybe like three people that are unvaccinated out of the thousands of friends that I have. Like, I don't know very many. It's, it's like a different vibe. So I really kept my mouth shut about the convoy because there were some people that were very negatively impacted and businesses Mm -hmm. that were very negatively impacted. And we can rationalize that however we want. And I just like, I personally want to hold space for everyone. Like these people are suffering and these people are suffering. Mm -hmm. We can suffer in different ways and talk about it. And what I, what I hated was like the, the blatant, lies the media was telling the one-sided mm-hmm. stories the instead of coming together um it really the the media and the government obviously like they pitted people against each other and mm-hmm. i did not want to get in the crossfires of that i had been part of a, a social media hate campaign because i liked a people of color freedom convoy photo and um that was racist And I was called a Nazi amongst many other things, had people who like emailing me, phoning me, sending me messages, like talk about hate speech. I was like, what's Mm -hmm. the value of a like is the value of a like, I liked a photo and it was like a nuclear bomb. So I kind of stayed really like peripheral Mm -hmm. because that energy was horrendous. Yes. Like anyone that's part of a cancel culture campaign like that is, man, I understand why like Joe Rogan doesn't read the comments <laughs> and like the it's people true. don't read the comments. Cause like it's, there's so much hate out there. Mm-hmm. There's so many hurt, mentally unhealthy, unstable, zero emotional resilience people out there. Mm-hmm that are just directing their rage and anger in any place they can. And it literally is like morphing from when I like the memes, like you, you make memes and stuff. I love the meme with like Homer Simpson, like falling into the woods. And then like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, COVID's going away. Oh, here comes the war in the Ukraine. <laughs> like, yep. You know? Yep. The, the cancel, the cancel culture thing. I mean, I have my thoughts on how we were uh, molded to, 
-hmm. watch our mouths as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement and what that conditioned us to be courageous enough to talk about, uh, but probably more along the lines of being too scared to talk about things uh, because the attacks and the cancel culture through BLM uh, were some of the most horrendous things I ever witnessed. Like I'm, we're talking the complete dismantling of people's lives, their businesses, yep. their families, their friendship circles. And so yes. we look at that leading into the COVID narrative and all of a sudden how ballsy so many people became because cancel culture was being celebrated. It was being encouraged yes. and we basically compelled society to uh, virtually destroy people for a difference in opinion or god forbid nuanced thought on any level so we were primed to be silent for the COVID-19 narrative and we were primed to be terrified as white people to be seen as anything other than accepting and kind and um, inclusive and everything that a, a human being naturally should be. And most of us really genuinely are. Yeah. Um, there was a very dangerous narrative that was built that COVID came on the coattails of. And, um, you know, people, the narrative brewing about the racism and the, and the racist roots of the convoy, um, that was an easy angle to take for people to discredit um, arguably one of the most beautiful protests that our nation has ever seen. Um, and the discredit was imperative for the government and the narrative in order to maintain their credibility and their control. So um, leveraging people to be divided and, and pitted against one another is the mark of any type of um, government that that needs to desperately hold on to power um, and gain power. And that's exactly what our government um, started to do. And, and we saw that in Trudeau's 2021 campaign, um, where all of a sudden there was a sharp turn against the unvaccinated. And, and if people can remove their bias and just look from a bird's eye view of these very clear examples of divide and conquer mm -hmm. that our government has deployed in record numbers and record examples over the last three years alone, it helps understand uh, people like us a little bit more um, and, and understand why we have been fighting so hard and why for us, no, this is not over. This is not something that, well, the the state of emergency is no longer, so we can all just shut up and go back to normal. It it is the that's the furthest thing from the truth for people like us, because we see the writing on the wall and we see these these very heinous agendas being deployed. And the only way that any of these things can succeed in getting pushed through is if people are divided. Is if there is always an enemy that the government needs to save people from. So as long as there is a bad group, so long as there is someone that is uh, mistakenly visibly worse than the government in power, then that government has the upper hand. And this is where on the political front, um, without sound knowledge of, of our federal system and how things work, 
uh, the general public is just unfortunately far too swayed by our state-funded media. You find it interesting how narratives are coming out from the Conservative Party and people fighting back with highlighting speeches from Trudeau saying that the common people can't handle the truth. Yeah, it's interesting because the humility that lacks in our government alone Mm -hmm. should send chills up a person's spine um, to completely dismiss a person's thought process, uh, a person's belief system, a person's observation, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a level-headed, grounded adult seeing something that is of unpopular opinion um, and how quick our government responds to be able to squash any level of credibility that people like that have or any level of influence that people like that have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what scares me. And it's not necessarily the government and what they say or what they don't say. It's the people's willingness to listen to the government over and above their own level of observation skills, their own thought process, their own family and friends. That's the stuff that really, really freaks me out. Do you think that it's in direct relation to their own state, uh, mental and emotional state, the health of their mental and emotional beings? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it'd be weird to not draw some sort of connection there. I mean, I don't have any data to be able to support my thoughts there, but I think it really does come down to fear and how fear was the thing that was leveraged to be able to try and control as many of us as humanly possible. And when you put someone in a perpetual state of fear, where there's always something to be terrified of or a group of people to be terrified of, or a thought process or a social media campaign to be terrified of. If we're constantly in a state of fear, there's no way that doesn't harm a person's emotional intelligence and cognitive abilities to be able to think for themselves. So I don't see how that couldn't be a factor in in why um, this became such an issue and why people uh, have responded with with violence, not just a respectful disagreement, being like, you know what, Sarah, I don't agree with your position on vaccines. I really appreciate your input, though. Thank you so much for informing me. That never happened. (laughs) It was blind rage (laughs) and verbal attacks, verbal assaults, in in some cases, physical assaults, uh, in some cases, the wish for death. Uh, of people like me. And mm-hmm. I can't see how if if that fearful, fearful, fearful narrative wasn't jammed down society's throat. I don't believe that a person in their natural state would have responded this way. And so there's there's a huge level of mind control at play. Um, and I think that's what people um, have a really hard time with because none of us, 
none of us ever want to believe that we could fall for propaganda. I mean, when we think propaganda, we think of things like the Holocaust and we think of things like North Korea and government propaganda just blasted all over the place. Mm -hmm. How on how on earth do you get the masses to be able to turn a blind eye to over a million Jewish people being murdered? Propaganda is what does that. And Mm -hmm. there's not a human on the planet that wants to admit that we are susceptible to falling for for propaganda Mm -hmm. because that insults our intelligence. (laughs) It insults, you know, like our, our our pride, everything, because to not recognize when our minds are being manipulated by a constant amount of information that wants us to believe a certain thing, we don't want to admit that we wouldn't see that happening, right? And so that's what I think at this stage of the game, you know, three years in, this is what people are wrestling with internally, whether people are at the point where they're willing to admit it or not. Um, I can't see how there's not a lot of people out there realizing that they have fallen for something incredibly dangerous. And on top of that, having to reflect on things that they may have said or Mm -hmm. done to people that they love, to their friends, to strangers on the internet, Mm -hmm. uh, and to come to terms with, maybe I shouldn't have just so willingly trusted this experiment being put in my arm. I mean, that's where I can set down my anger um, for everything that's happened over the last year, last, last three years and find compassion because I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine three years in, and then all of a sudden opening my eyes to what I just perpetuated through either my words, my actions, or uh, lack thereof of both. Mm. It's really interesting too the dissonance and how the, the, the fight against having to take responsibility for the things that you have said yes to and Mm -hmm. humans as a whole, as I observe the world is we want to take the path of least resistance. We want to not be responsible, the blame game, the shame game. It's like every, no one wants to look in the mirror and actually do something about it. And that's what I think so wonderful about this group of people that are waking up because they are taking responsibility for what they've said yes to. And it's painful. Mm -hmm. It sucks. It hurts. And it's wonderful because it gives you your power back. It makes you be able to stand truly in your authentic voice instead of the the voice spewing the, the narratives, the voice just tagging along with your friends. I do wonder, because some people that I used to be very good friends with have said some very mean things to me. There's no apology. I would never expect one. But I often wonder, do they really think that they are a good person for hating and publicly shaming and and because someone disagreed with them on a medical intervention? Do they really think that they're a good person for that? Do they feel good? Does that feel good? Yeah. You know, I, I think people are so out of touch with how they feel to begin with that all it takes is social reward Mm. and social credit of some sort um, in the falsehood of, you know, doing the right thing um, for the collective in order for people to justify just about anything. If it means that they're going to get the pat on the back for 
doing what's right for one's neighbor. Um, and you can really think about how far that can go. It's like, what is, what is the person's limit <laughs> for yeah. uh, what it means to do the right thing? And I think you hit the nail on the head uh, with the, just the lack of, of individual and personal responsibility that people have, because we've been, we have become so dependent on so many things um, in our lives. I mean, we're dependent on our jobs, dependent on our employers, dependent on the government, dependent on funding, dependent on, I mean, you name it. We have been uh, so overly spoiled and privileged here in the Western world that the expectation is that I don't really have to do a whole lot because I'm expecting others to come to the table and do that for me. And even if we just go super simplistic terms, the expectation is that if there's no food in my fridge, then I am dependent on the grocery store to make sure that there's food there. I mean, we're not just talking about, mm. you know, dependent on, uh, you know, on, on some sort of paycheck from the government. Like if we really strip it down, if we yeah. took away all the systems, can you actually, do you know how to operate? Like, do you, do you know how to, yeah. to support yourself and your family? If all of a sudden, all of these things that we're so dependent on blindly dependent on disappear. And that's kind of another layer of this on, on the political front where the whole confusion about so many people being like, wait, what? I thought I was a leftist, but now this government is so evil. Like, how did this happen? I, I've never identified with being conservative and whatever the dialogue is. So many people are confused politically right now. But if if we strip all even all the policies away and, and we don't look at things as like left versus right, look at it as a sliding scale of more government dependence and less government dependence. The growing amount of dependence on uh, on the government right now is a main driving force of leftist governments. And, and that can't be denied, regardless of what policies you agree with or not. Their purpose is to grow the government, is to create more dependence so that they are needed. And so long as a government is needed, there is always a mechanical arm that can reach out to control the population, because if that need is taken away, or if that need is threatened, then that individual suffers because they've been been conditioned to be dependent on that thing. So it's less of a, an issue of left versus right, and more of an issue of how independent are you willing to be as an individual, and why? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're not willing to be an independent person, why? And that that comes down to, oh, well, there are people that truly are dependent. Yes, we're not talking about them. We're not, there are people who are dependent. And that is where the government needs to come to the table to have resources, support systems, um, and, and things in place to be able yes. to support those populations who genuinely have dependent needs. But what's happening right now is that the government is creating dependence. And the liberal child care benefit is a prime example of that. Tell me about they, that. What do you mean they by create, that? So in 2021, when Trudeau was, was running his campaign, basically leveraging Canadians' hatreds for the unvaccinated, yeah. another major ploy that was um, put out there on behalf of the liberals was the uh, child tax credit, which means that individuals, if they vote liberal, 
who have families would then be able to receive money from the government for their dependent children. So all of a sudden, people are like, parents, ooh, this would really help. This would take off some of the burden. This would help make things stretch a little further. This will help with the rising cost of groceries. This will help put children in sports, right? We've created a dependence there. So now all of a sudden, if the conservatives put in their platform and that that's not in there, we now have a group of families who feel as though they have to vote liberal in order for them to maintain that that extra financial kickback into their homes. So there's a huge element of the leftist governments who are arguably at the helm of, of so many of the problems that have happened here in the last few years that are creating a need for them to make it less desirable to vote right. Because if you vote right, you have to become a more autonomous human being. You have to be more sovereign in every way that you operate, whether it's financially, food-wise, fuel-wise. If you start thinking about all these things and you want to stop relying on the government to fix all these problems for you, that means that the burden of responsibility is now on you to solve those problems and to find solutions for yourself, for your home, for your family, as opposed to sitting back and waiting for the government to say what they're going to do for you next. And so this, when you talk about people not having that, uh, you know, diehard sense of personal responsibility, we're seeing that on mass right now. One of the interesting things about that child benefit, and there was another, a couple other little ones um, out there that I found to be so interesting is the, the choice of words that our public figures make. I mean, I teach the conditioned mind. That's my job. That's what I do. And there are three ways that beliefs are formed, three primary ways. One of them is when an authority figure tells you what to do. You learn that as a young person, like, oh, the police officer, I have to listen to them, mother, teacher, whatever the title. So we still have that in us. When someone in power says something, we lean into believing them. And the choice, the words that, that, that our political leaders have used, it's so interesting because the same person that screwed so many businesses, screwed so like screwed so many jobs, the nurses are a very good example, mm -hmm. fired a slew of people, is now positioning themselves as the hero. Mm -hmm. We will fix it for you. And the general public just kind of says, like, yay, that's that looks great. Thank you so much for fucking me over and giving me $300 yep. you know, of taxpayer money and putting us into debt because you know what? I'm so happy that lettuce costs $80,000 now and <laughs> my mortgage rates are skyrocketing and you know, the middle mm -hmm. class is shrinking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the classic create the problem then feed them the solution. I mean, if, if they're, if people aren't even at least seeing that over the last three years, yes. um, that's, that's a bitter pill to swallow where we have to look at, okay, well, this, this beautiful solution that the government's coming to the table with what caused it in the first place. And if people just looked a little more deeply into cause versus effect, mm -hmm. um, then I think that there may be a little bit more of an opportunity for some reverse engineering to occur and what actually is at the root of this to begin with. And Oh, look, it's the same people who are now 
providing us with the solution in order to buy our votes back again? It's one of the the um, elements. It's one of the components. It's one of the topics of conversations I have with a lot of people who are, quote unquote, like have woken up to this sort of illusion is um, is is the root cause. The root cause is is the only thing we should be looking at. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's multiple things mm-hmm. that are at the root of the problem, or it's not always super simple, but I'll tell you, taking the pill, taking the check, uh, voting for the, that's not the solution to any of this. And it's interesting how people will feel so unsafe hearing that mm-hmm. hearing let's heal the root cause instead of your symptom that feels unsafe for people. Right. Because it requires responsibility. It requires change. It requires shifting priorities. It requires a dedication of time. It requires shifting beliefs. It requires changing habits. And none of those things are easy or convenient. And so if something's not easy or convenient to people this day and age, um, it's not the first choice. It's not the first option. It feels not worth it to people, even though they're not looking at the compound effect of not doing something about it. And, you know, even if you just look at, I mean, our own generation, you know, millennials, Gen Xers, and and the colossal shift that has occurred just in the few decades that we've been on this planet, uh, we are shifting at such a rapid, rapid pace of being so wildly dependent on things outside of ourselves that if we don't individually take responsibility to do those inconvenient things and to take the time to figure out a new way forward and to have the hard conversations and to have the balls to use our voices, then uh, what is next? What's for the next generation? What type of world are the children going to be growing up in? So it also takes um, us to put our own fears aside and recognize that like we're kind of the warriors that are are holding up the shield right now and starting to deflect the target away from the future generations. And if we don't do that, then it will be the children who are here today that have to deal with all the shit that we were too gutless to do anything about because we didn't want to be inconvenienced. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. The the whole, every the Gen Z's of the world is a Gen Z. Yeah. Gen Z's very interesting work ethic, very interesting, emotional, um, dysregulation, dysregulation. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, there's absolutely no resiliency whatsoever. They, they, I've heard of, you know, people getting performance reviews at work, multiple business owners. So a lot of my friends and and family own business or they, or they are managers of some sort and performance reviews, grown men crying in performance reviews. Like that's what the, and, and, and people quitting, you know, six figure jobs because they don't like the vibe. They don't like being accountable for, you know, the, the work they, they, they can't take criticism. Why do you think that is what, like, I have my theories. I'll kind of say mine a little bit. I think a lot of the gen X parents had a really hard life 
with mm-hmm. boomers and above and and war and and scarcity and depression uh, the great depression and through the world wars and everything that they had to very much they had a lot of trauma there's a lot of yeah. generational trauma in there and i i have this you know i don't have stats to back this up either i just have this feeling that gen x wanted their kids to have it easy so they did it all for them yeah i i tend to agree with you there i i I always mess up this quote and I've heard Jordan Peterson say it, and I don't even think it's his quote, but it's something along the lines of, uh, you know, hard times create strong people and then strong times create weak people and then weak people create hard times. It's just like this cycle that goes over and over and over again, because the last generation doesn't want the new generation to experience what they just experienced. Then it just kind of ends up in this snowball effect. We just keep going around in circles. I mean, centuries and centuries and centuries of circles. And yeah, I I think that, you know, post-war there was this general feeling and rightfully so it's like, now is Mm -hmm. our time to be able to live without having to worry so much and without having to be so fearful and, and concerned about the next bad thing happening. So I can totally understand why all of a sudden things started to get lax and that compound effect over decades now resulting in the Western world that we have now, which is probably the weakest our society has ever been. And I mean, don't even get me started on concerns about global affairs and world wars with the state of Western civilization right now being so spoiled and privileged with everything that's being spoon fed to us here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you look at the other countries that we should rightfully be concerned about who have strong Mm -hmm. people in them, uh, you know, really big militaries, no bullshit um, society. And it's like, oh boy, we are in a little bit of hot water here if we ever have to go into war again. But oh, yeah. I also think too that that that's also how we're manipulated when mm-hmm. when there's a form of control that is needing to be, uh, you know, deployed for whatever reason in order to get people to do a certain thing. They attack our belonging. They attack our need for acceptance. They attack our need for approval. Like these are basic human desires. We all want to belong. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be approved of. Yes. It feels good. So when those things are threatened, uh, it can ch- completely change our behavior. It can completely manipulate our choices. It can completely take us out of our authenticity, take us out of our truth. Uh, and and whether we're conscious of it or not, we are circumventing our own state of being in order to either to get one of those things. I want to belong to this group. So therefore I'm going to fall in line with this or change my belief on this or keep my mouth shut about this. I want to be accepted into this space. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I want this person to approve of me. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z. So we end up creating these really strange robotic compliant versions of ourselves that how on earth are you supposed to develop courage and resilience and strength if all we're doing is conforming? Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to people having uh, any shred of 
uh, strength to be able to take a stand and to say, you know what, I don't want to be so dependent on so many different things. I want to be able to do things my own way. I want to be able to feel safe and secure within, you know, my own abilities and what I, I can do and create for myself and my family. I want that. That's why we don't have enough people that are willing to do those things because we're so worried about being alone. We're worried about being abandoned. We're worried about being rejected. We're worried about being ridiculed, canceled. I mean, cancel culture alone uh, caused us to conform. Cancel culture alone caused people to be terrified to share a thought. Yeah. I mean, share a thought. People are afraid to share a thought. We think that people are all of a sudden going to have the the skills and and the ability and the courage and the know-how to be able to do something that requires inner strength. So yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things. Oh my God. I want to talk a little bit about business as you are a business mentor. I love your, um, as a business, as a business owner myself, I love following your little tips and how you shift the narrative a little bit and perspectives on business. I do have a semi-political question for you though, in that regard, because I'm curious to know how entrepreneurs are coming out of the shit. Actually, I heard a quote recently. It's not mine and I don't know who it was, but it was something like the best kind of growth comes out of shit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> even mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, even Exactly. The best that's kind awesome. of growth stems from shit or something. Um, <laughs> is, are you seeing ideologies changing the corporate landscape? Are you seeing ideologies changing the, the, um, yeah, the economic and corporate landscapes? Yes. In a number of ways. I think division is what ultimately is happening at the yes. corporate level as well. Ideologies, um, for lack of a better term, uh, woke culture has infiltrated the world of business and again, if we go back to the conversation we were just having when yeah. it comes to conformity and acceptance and approval, if now all of a sudden a business's revenue depends on their social positioning on something, that can be a terrifying place for a CEO and a CFO to have to sit down and think about what's their best strategy here. Uh, what are they going to put their name behind? What are they going to avoid? Uh, what ideologies are they going to stay really far away from in order to not compromise their bottom line? Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing that on mass right now um, is this extreme level of activism that uh, I would say would not be happening at all if it weren't for the fact that there was a threat to their bottom line. If people actually think... <laughs> that uh, let's use Bud Light as the most yes. recent example. Perfect. If people actually think that Bud Light all of a sudden said, you know what, the best thing for humanity right now is to protect trans people. And so let's go find uh, a trans person and, and make sure that they know how supported they are. If that wasn't already a raging narrative in our society right now, Bud Light would not have touched that with a 10-foot pole. And so now what we're seeing are these businesses, and I mean, we're talking billion-dollar conglomerates, yeah. 
Bud Light is not a small company. And it was interesting what happened. If you look at their stocks, you saw a quick little spike after the launch. And to me, that says they automatically scooped up, like very quickly scooped up a group of people that are like, yeah, Bud Light, they're taking a stand. This is awesome. All of a sudden they go buy Bud Light for the first time in their lives. Right? Yep. The problem, though, is that these people have no intention of continuing to drink Bud Light. They're not Bud Light drinkers. But now all the Bud Light drinkers that were there every weekend at the liquor store getting another case of Bud Light are no longer going to the liquor store to get a case of Bud Light. And so what you see happening in their stocks is a spike and a downward spiral. If you look at what's happening, I think their losses are in, in the billions um, already. Oh yeah, it's it's big. It's damaging. It's bad. <laughs> so you have that happening where and that's where the term go woke, go broke is is starting to um take force. Oh my gosh. I was wondering because I saw some I saw some things about that hashtag and it was like super I, I was really confused by it. So yeah. that's what that means. Okay. <laughs> well, this is what's happening because because a, it's not authentic, right? So if yes. something's not authentic, it cannot be sustainable no matter how hard you strategize. And this yes. even goes the same for the, for the little old personal brand on Instagram, all the way up to the major corporations. If, if what you are doing is not coming from your heart, you cannot sustain it. So we know that this false sense of activism that we're seeing in companies all over the place right now, they're only doing it because... They are also conditioned to think that if they don't, they're going to lose their company. But the opposite is actually happening. And this goes all the way back to the old term, the silent majority, right? The silent majority has always been referred to as right wing, conservative, Republican, whatever you want to call people, where they're not the loud ones on the Internet. They're not the ones that are you know, causing a, a scene on the news because often they're not even allowed on the news. So yeah. there's... When you watch the news and when you watch social media, especially when algorithms are favoring things like this to the average person, it looks like this is how everybody thinks. It looks like if you do not make a stand in this arena, you're going to lose everything. And so we we can't be fooled that, you know, even corporate executives are falling into this trap. But what's happening on the other side, um, at least what I'm observing, is that the businesses who are choosing to take a stand and say, we're not participating in this nonsense. We're not going to allow you to call us racist or transphobic or homophobic or sexist or bigoted or whatever other mm -hmm. horrible thing comes flying out of people's mouths because we know ourselves, we know our character, we know that's not true of us and we're not going to play this game. And we're going to speak out against this narrative, not because we don't like gay people or trans people or black people or Jewish people. That has nothing to do with it. We're pushing back on the people who are throwing us all in the same bucket, rattling us around, causing us to hate one another. It's companies that are taking that stand that are starting to rise, that are starting to win. Can you give Because they have this silent majority of mm -hmm. people who are like, Okay, this I can get behind. Um, big examples, uh, Black Rifle Coffee would probably be one down in the States. Um, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, love him or hate him. Um, huge example from a media perspective 
of picking up Gina Carano after she was let go from Disney mm -hmm. uh, in The Mandalorian for challenging the gender ideology movement and making a comment about, hey, guys, I'm a little uncomfortable with the narrative that's happening because it sounds really familiar. And she's making reference to the Holocaust. So instead of people recognizing that she was she was putting two and two together with dangerous government narratives and control techniques, people automatically thought she was comparing the plight of Republicans to the Jews in the Holocaust. And yeah. she got canceled yeah. for it. Yeah. Absolutely. But Daily Wire is like, uh-uh, we're not playing this game. They scoop her up. Daily Wire is now a force to be reckoned with in the world of alternative media. Rebel News would be another example of that here in Canada. The last three years, if you look at the businesses who not only voiced, like used their voice, but then held that line when the wrath came raining down upon them, if they were able to withstand that horrendous cancel culture, the abuse, the death threats, um, the lost book deals, like all of the things that people were threatened by, if they managed to hang on throughout that, you will see that those companies are the ones that are like now on the rise because mm -hmm. now things like integrity are at the forefront of people. Courage. It's like that, that took a lot for that business owner to take that stand. And like, that must mean they're a pretty solid human. Maybe there's a difference in opinion, but you can't argue that that takes a set of balls to be able to do something like that. And that does speak a lot to a person's character and the values that that company holds. So from a, from a company standpoint, from a business owner standpoint, I, I 10 out of 10 don't recommend all of a sudden speaking out for the first time. If you are not prepared to yes. hold on for dear life until that storm is over and you can then stay on the up and up, um, and, and stay true to your own self, your values, all that stuff, because that, that period in the middle is treacherous, right? There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of really scary things that happen there. But if you are a business owner and you're listening to this and it feels like you're going to explode, if you don't say something, just know that you're going to need to hold that line. And if you do look at what's happening now, all of a sudden the, the, the freedom fighting movement, we're all very, very, very conscious about where we spend our money and yes. where we are supporting and businesses that we are buying from. And that is a factor now. So if you want that support financially from that silent majority of people, um, in my opinion, it's a rock solid move to make for business owners to take a stand. But you got you just got to be prepared because it's it's not for the faint of heart to have to withstand that kind of blowback. Um, especially yeah. when people aren't really great at communicating their position on things that can kind of cause more inflammatory response than necessary. But, um, yeah, even just we'll, the little we'll decisions, the little decisions like day to day, you can just start to, you know, start small. One of the mm -hmm. things that I've had really deep conversations with people, cause after the vax ma mandate was, uh, taken off of restaurants, I believe it was in May of 2022 here in in Ontario. Anyways, I don't know if it was Canada wide. Mm -hmm. Forget. No, we were we were out end of March, I think, in Alberta here. Okay, so end of May, um, June actually. I think it was mid June. 
there were many restaurants who continued to do it. And they signaled mm -hmm. out on social media that they weren't going to get rid of it because they're trying to keep the community safe. And I just yep. found it to be so discriminating. Like the people that did that were discriminating. That is not virtuous. Yes. That is yep. blatant discrimination. Okay, fine. You did it to survive because the government made you. Okay, I got it. But now you're choosing to discriminate. So I no longer support those businesses. And I never will. Again, yep. I just yep. like, no, thanks. Same here. And and we saw that happen even here in Alberta, um, in the downtown cores, Calgary, Edmonton, you know, yeah. some of those ideologies are a little stronger than they are out here in the yeah. in the rural parts of Alberta yeah. where I live. Um, and there were a couple of restaurants who took the same position and there were doctors who got behind those owners and doctors were sending the business oh owners cash to buy everybody around a beer for what? keeping. Oh, yeah. For keeping the the mandates in place what they is were happening like, to doctors like i don't what know what's wrong with them like I, actually are they just literally blind like why yes. are people well, talking yeah. about the studies why like that is just infuriating for me oh same and and that just I mean, that that bleeds into the whole other conversation about a loss of trust in the healthcare system right and but it's going back to the point of where we're spending our money we're paying attention more than the average person in the general public because we have been attacked and because we have to have our eyes wide open. So we watch for these things. So when mm -hmm. it comes to where I'm buying, uh, I haven't set foot in a Save-On's, uh, Save-On Foods since uh, prior to the mandates, because that was the first grocery chain in New Brunswick that put a vaccine mandate into place, where yes. if you were not vaccinated, you could not go buy groceries from a save on food. So I will not touch them with a 10 foot pole. Uh, and then I look at who they're partnered with. I think Safeway or Sobeys bought them up. I don't shop any of those places anymore. No, so yeah. I'm watching for the people who are taking a stand and I am putting my dollar behind that person. So there is an opportunity right now for business owners who who do see what's happening and are and are afraid to really trust that there is like an army of human beings out there that is ready to support their business um with everything they've on, got when that save on did that i put a poll on my instagram and i asked people do you think that this is fair and 62 percent said yes that's horrifying i blocked every single person i'm like i don't want you in my circle you think it's okay for unvaccinated people to not have access to food yeah that goes back to your point of like what are you dependent yeah. on <laughs> mm -hmm. what are you dependent on but also it's 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 scary. It's the people that that have scared me over the last the three years. I mean, too. the government government is being a government and <laughs> Trudeau is being Trudeau. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't even know why people are shocked when Trudeau does something Trudeau like. I'm like, what did you all of a sudden expect him to be a good moral human being? Like, what? Yeah. Are, why are we shocked by all these horrible things that he's doing? It's not it's not Trudeau. That scares me. It's the people who believe in Trudeau that scare yeah. the shit out of me because back to your comment about the doctors we're not thinking we are just watching government rolled out information and going with it and and on the healthcare side of things the the naturopathic doctor world rattled me big time because i oh. i thought for sure that we'd Let's see a lot more we'd see a lot more people in the alternative healthcare 
models be way more discerning than we saw happening. And and, uh, I was following one particular ND and specializes in women's fertility and um, menstrual cycles and things of that nature. And she put up a post (laughs) that basically was a, just a memo that come down from whatever college that spoke to the safety of vaccine when it comes to women's fertility and menstrual cycles. And it shook me so fiercely that I was like, it's like, you are a brilliant woman. You are smart. Oh, what is going on? Like, where is the evidence based data? And why as a doctor, are you not relentlessly tearing apart those numbers instead of just saying, oh, well, if the college says this, then it must be true because I trust the college. Mm -hmm. Who pays the college? Who funds the college? Mm -hmm. Who props up the college? Like we have, (laughs) this is where critical thinking comes in, right? But that's that's the scary part is is the, the medical field not actually looking at medical data and um just kind of towing the line of whatever came down from the latest memo and that's probably the group that i think of the most yeah. when it comes to what what must be going on in their minds right now what must be going on in their heart space right now what must they wonder about what they were just a part of or what harm they may have um, that's caused the thing. people they caused like, a lot of doctors caused a lot of harm and they started to wake up and be like oh my god I've had multiple patients have a heart attack and die leaving my office. Something yeah, something's going on and I have to, I have to look at this. Yeah. But it's interesting now that the rules uh, are, are sort of, you can't speak out against it or you're going to lose your license. So they just add a bunch of fear to it. And Mm -hmm. so doctors do say silent. My doctor, for example, so I got COVID in April of 2020. Wow. Right out of the gates. Right out of the (laughs) gate. They didn't test me. However, that summer at the end of the summer, because it was so panicky at the beginning, they were like, just go home two weeks, you know, whatever. And I got an antibodies test. So I knew that I had it because I had like extreme levels of antibodies. And then my doctor recommended that I get the vaccine. And I was like, well, I've had the chicken pox. Should I get the chicken pox vaccine too? Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, and then it was all like the, the do it for your grandmother th- shit, my doctor. And I was like, well, when I go to the Philippines and get my malaria shot, am I doing that for the Filipino people? Or am I doing that for me? Like, hello, I have antibodies. You see the paper in front of you. Like you see that. And then she just kind of was like, well, you know, we're just kind of doing, and she like went off and I'm like, oh my God. Anyways, I... I love this woman. I actually do. I really liked her until that moment. It made me start to realize, oh, she is just human. She is just part of this wave of propaganda. She's a a cog in the wheel and, and is not aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what it all comes down to. And I think most Canadians have an example, just like yours of that conversation Mm -hmm. with their doctor. And Mm -hmm. I know people who had conversations with their doctor and the doctor is like, no, you totally don't need to get the vaccine. And then all of a sudden a week later, they changed their mind. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, did another memo come down? Like, yeah. did you get the, the ruler? Did you get yeah, the, the strap? One woman I know, um, same thing, having a conversation with her, her doctor, she's been with her for years and said, I'm not, I'm not getting it. And the doctor says, well, you know, we should. And she says, well, I'm, I'm hearing things about, you know, heart issues. And like, what? she's like, oh yeah, both of my sons, uh, one had myocarditis, the other one had pericarditis, but they're fine now. But they're fine now. Oh my God. <laughs> this is a doctor telling this to a friend of mine. And I was like, we have lost the plot. We have lost the plot. Oh, thank God for people like you who are standing up and having conversations like this. And because this is what's missing, like just casual conversing. We're, we're sharing each other's stories. We're yeah. like making sense of the world from our perspective and like in a safe space. And I can't even tell you, like I started talking about this on the Elisa and Filter podcast, like probably three or four months ago, I've hinted at it. Like I, I, people know that I'm unvaccinated, but because I had that hate campaign, I was like reluctant. Scary. It's scary. And I got, I I also spoke out about the lockdowns and I lost 4,000 followers. And I was like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) I don't care. Like the lockdowns are going to screw up kids. I'm like, the lockdowns are going to screw up kids at school and they're screwing up families. And And now there's actually data that supports that. Right. Right. I mean, it, it, it's interesting because yeah, anyhow, so you have been speaking out, you're doing events. Um, kid Carson actually told me that when you're at events, you're like a famous person and people are just like, Can I get out of <laughs> it's so cool. It's, it's so sweet. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. That's not at all what I thought would happen when I started opening my mouth. I thought the entire world was going to hate me, but I've ended up with this beautiful, incredible community of people that, you know, I say to my my best friend who also works very closely with me in my business, I was like, this is this is where everyone was. I just had to be yeah. myself. And because I I had always wondered, I was running these businesses, running events, doing all these things, and I always felt disjointed. Um, I didn't really feel like I could fully be myself or express myself or talk about things. Mm-hmm. And I I really hid a big part of me. And I wasn't putting two and two together at all in the early stages of my business about like, where are all my people? Like, I don't understand how I keep any, you know, surrounded with people who they're good people. They're just not a good fit for me, you know? Yeah. And turns out all I had to do is just be wildly honest <laughs> about, you know, myself and and my views and, and, you know, stand in that with a lot of conviction. And all of a sudden the the greatest people on earth have shown up in my space. And so, yeah, when I get to meet people, in person, it's just, it's the best friggin' feeling to know that you can be so safe in yourself without fear of, you know, reprisal from the people around you. One of the things that the pandemic taught me was to pay attention to money, how I make money, have multiple income streams, how my worth is tied to money. I am one of the people I had a social media business. I was coaching a little bit, but I had to pivot into coaching. I, that was my pivot, my social media business, all my, I, I, my niche was, was small businesses in Ottawa. And of course they all shut wow. down. Wow. And I, all of a sudden I shut down and I was like, holy shit, this is happening fast. So it really gets you thinking when you are directly affected by the effects and you haven't woken up, it might be time for you to just sort of look at your bank account, 
look at how you, what you think about money, how you've learned, how you've been conditioned to think about money, how you think, oh, how you're intimidated by money, by investing, by stock. Like there's so much involved in money. And you talk about that. You have money, monetize your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yep. okay, okay. Cool. 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 Uh, lots of programs. You speak about it. Tell us a little bit about how people can work with you, where they can see you. You have some events coming up. Yeah. Oh gosh. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. This is literally a dream for me to talk about this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my signature program is called monetize your mind. And, and that was birthed on the coattails of uh, the workplace mandates because I desperately wanted people to wrap their heads around the alternative ways in which you can create streams of income for yourself so that you are not dependent on one, you are not dependent on your employer. And it doesn't mean that you have to become a full-time, full-fledged entrepreneur, but at least start thinking about other ways that you can bring income into your home. And so, you know, I've been business coaching uh, for close to six years now, but I mean, this flicked a switch in me, something fierce because I, I saw the the writing on the wall. I'm like, oh my God, people actually don't have a backup plan. This is not good. And so um, monetize your mind. I, I help people understand the fundamentals of, of business so that no matter what you're building, Um, You have a framework to be able to create from and a a solid know-how of the inner workings of what to do if you're starting a business or if you're an existing business owner um, and you want to go and branch out into a different market or a different service offering, how can you easily do that and diversify the revenue streams that are coming into your existing business so that as a business owner, you're still not just solely um, reliant on one stream of revenue coming into your business. How do you protect your business in that regard? So, uh, monetize your mind took off like wildfire and it's now just become the most beautiful community of awakened and conscious entrepreneurs who, um, really lead from the heart and create from the heart and are very solution focused and coming up with ways to solve problems and in turn also be able to create new streams of income um, for themselves. So that naturally diversified itself and turned into um, the monetize your mind mastermind, which is a little bit more of an intimate setting for business owners who are a little bit more advanced in their journeys uh, of entrepreneurship. And uh, the most recent addition to the MYM brand uh, is now the MYM conference that's happening in beautiful Kananaskis, Alberta and the Rocky Mountains at the Marriott Mountain Lodge and Nordic Spa. I and- love that place. I used to ski at Fortress. Did you really? Yeah. Uh, it's the best. Yeah. The mountains um, are very, very special to me. And I feel very grounded and rooted and strong when I'm in their presence. So having an event of this magnitude, literally in the mountains, when we're doing big work like this to um, really remind people, remind business owners and entrepreneurs specifically that we are the ones that create the economy, not the government. And again, going back to the conversation of this is our responsibility. This is our job to literally stimulate the economy and to create money, to create jobs, to have enough money to be able to pour back into other businesses. That's our job. And, uh, this is a really a call to rise this conference for entrepreneurs and business owners to answer that call and, um, really step into their power 
as business owners stop playing small, yeah. uh, really expand their vision and um, make an impact. I mean, if if collectively we have you know hundreds or thousands of entrepreneurs taking on that radical level of responsibility to build the biggest, best business that they can and create as much revenue as they can, create as many jobs as they can, have as much disposable income as they can, then we need not worry as much when our government posts a $40 billion deficit as our federal budget, because we recognize that they're going to do what they're going to (laughs) do. We got to focus on what we can control. Um, So that's my wheelhouse is uh, really elevating the uh, awakened and conscious entrepreneurs here in Canada to rise to the occasion. This is our time to shine. Um, it's our time to act. Um, so that's, that's my brand. That's what I do. And and now the, the, the why behind what I, what I do is, is probably more intense <laughs> than it ever has been. <laughs> we'll have to bring you on the show again to talk all about entrepreneurship. I'm really happy that you talked that our, the, the vast majority of this was on sort of the awakening and the conscious mm-hmm. mind and, and, and that aspect, but Man, I love what you're doing, coaching. And uh, thank you so much for coming today and sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me. I could talk about this stuff all day long. So maybe I'll come back. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give the show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to Elisa Unfiltered Coaching for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.